Chapter thirty seven of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter thirty seven. The few but precious words that marked in parting a sensibility that he had vainly sought to excite while remaining bounded to the heart of harleigh but were denied all acknowledgment from his lips by the sight of miss bydel and mr giles arb who were mounting the stairs miss bydel tapped at the door of ellis and harleigh ill as he felt fitted for joining any company persuaded himself that immediately to retreat might awaken yet more surmise than for a few passing minutes to re-enter the room he looked at ellis in taking this measure and saw that while she struggled to receive her visitors with calm civility her air of impatience for his departure was changed by this surprise into confusion at his presence he felt culpable for occasioning her so uneasy a sensation, and, to repair it as much as might be in his power, assumed a disengaged countenance, and treated as a mark of good fortune, having chanced to inquire whether Miss Ellis had any commands for town, at the same time that Miss Bydel and Mr. Giles Arb made their visit. "'Why, we are come, Mrs. Ellis!' said Miss Bydel, to know the real reason of your not being at the rehearsal this morning. Pray, what is it? Not a soul could tell it me, though I asked everybody all round. So I should be glad to hear the truth from yourself. Was it real illness now, or only a pretext?' "'Illness!' cried Mr. Giles Arb, with all those roses on her cheeks. No, no, she's very well, as well as very pretty. But you should not tell stories, my dear, though I am heartily glad to see that there's nothing the matter. But it's a bad habit, though it's convenient enough sometimes. But when you don't like to do a thing, why not say so at once? People mayn't be pleased, to be sure, when they are refused, but do you think them so ill-natured as to like better to hear that you are ill? Ellis, abashed, attempted no defence, and Harleigh addressed some discourse to Miss Bydel upon the next day's concert, while Mr. Giles went on with his own idea. We should always honestly confess our likings and dislikings, for else what have we got them for? If every one of us had the same taste, half the things about us would be of no service, and we should scramble till we came to scratches for the other half. But the world has no more business, my dear lady, to be all of one mind than all of one body. Oh, now pray, Mr. Giles, cried Miss Bydel, don't go beginning your comical talk, for if you once do that, one can't get in a word. But for all that we should all round try to help and be kind to one another. What else are we put all together for in this world? We might just as well, each of us have been popped upon some separate bit of a planet, one by himself one. All I recommend is to tell the truth, or to say nothing. We whip poor pretty children for telling stories when they are little, and yet hardly speak a word without some false turn or other, ourselves when we grow big. Well, but Mr. Giles said Miss Bydel. Where's the use of talking so long about all that, when I'm wanting to ask Mrs. Ellis why she did not come to the rehearsal? For my own part, ma'am, continued Mr. Giles, if anybody puts me to a difficulty, I do the best I can. But I'd rather do the worst than tell a fib. 
so when I am asked an awkward question, which some people can't cure themselves of doing, out of an over-curiosity in their nature, as, Giles, how do you like Miss Such-a-one, or Mr. Such-a-one, or Mrs. Such-a-one? As Miss Bidle, for instance, if she came into anybody's head, or— Nay, Mr. Giles, interrupted Miss Bidle, I don't see why I should not come into a person's head as well as another, so I don't know what you say that for. But if that's your notion of being so kind to one another, Mr. Giles, I can't pretend to say it's mine, for I see no kindness in it. I protest, ma'am, I did not think of you in the least, cried Mr. Giles, much put out of countenance. I only took your name because happening to stand just before you put it, I suppose, at my tongue's end. But you were not once in my thoughts. I can assure you, ma'am, upon my word of honour. No more than if you had never existed, I protest. Miss Bidle, neither accepting nor repelling this apology, said that she did not come to talk of things of that sort, but to settle some business of more importance. Then turning to Ellis, I hear she continued, Mrs. Ellis, that all of a sudden you are grown very rich, and I should be glad to know if it's true, and how it has happened. I should be still more glad, madam, answered Ellis, to be able to give you the information. Nay, Mrs. Ellis, I had it from your friend Mr. Giles, who is always the person to be telling something or other to your advantage, so if there be any fault in the account, it's him you are to call upon, not me. Mr. Giles, drawn by the silence of Ellis, to a view of her embarrassment, became fearful that he had been indiscreet, and made signs to Miss Bidle to say no more upon the subject. But Miss Bidle, by no means disposed, at this moment, to oblige him, went on. "'Nay, Mr. Giles, you know as well as I do, t'was your own news. Did not you tell us all just now, at the rehearsal, when Miss Brinville and Miss Sycamore were saying what a monstrous air they thought it, for a person that nobody knew anything of, to send excuses about being indisposed, just as if she were a fine lady, or some famous singer, that might be as troublesome as she would? Did you not tell us, I say, that Mrs. Ellis deserved as much respect as any of us, on account of her good character, and more than any of us on account of her prettiness and her poverty?' "'Because her prettiness,' says you, "'tempts others, and her poverty tempts herself. "'And yet she is just as virtuous "'as if she were as rich and as ordinary "'as any one of the greatest consequence amongst you. "'Those were your own words, Mr. Giles.' Harley, who, conscious that he ought to go, "'had long held by the lock of the door, "'as if departing, "'could not now refrain from changing the position of his hand "'by placing it, expressively, "'upon the arm of Mr. Giles.' "'And if all this,' Miss Bidle continued, "'is not enough to make you respect her,' says you, "'why respect her for the same thing that makes you respect one another, her money? "'And when we all asked how she could be poor and have money too, "'you said that you had yourself seen ever so many banknotes upon her table.' "'Ellis coloured, but not so painfully as Harley, "'at the sight of her blushes, unattended by any refutation.' or any answer to this extraordinary assertion. "'And then, Mr. Giles, as you very well know, when I asked if she has money, why don't she pay her debts, you replied that she had paid them all, upon which I said I should be glad to know, then why I was to be the only person left out, just only for my complacence in waiting so long. And upon that I resolved to come myself and see how the matter stood. 
for though I have served you with such good will, Mrs. Ellis, while I thought you poor, I must be a fool to be kept out of my money, when I know you have got it in plenty. And Mr. Giles said that he counted with his own hands ten ten-pound bank-notes. Now I should be glad, if you have no objection, to hear how you came by all that money, Mrs. Ellis, for ten ten-pound bank-notes make a hundred pounds. Oh, absent, unguarded, dangerous Mr. Giles Arb, thought Ellis. How much benevolence do you mar by a distraction of mind that leads to so much mischief? I hope I have done nothing improper, cried Mr. Giles, perceiving with concern the disturbance of Ellis, in mentioning this, for I protest I never recollected till this very minute that the money is not your own. It slipped my memory somehow entirely. Nay, nay, how will you make that out, Mr. Giles? cried Miss Vidal. If it were not her own, how came she to pay her tradesmen with it, as you told us that she did, Mr. Giles? Ellis, in the deepest embarrassment, knew not which way to turn her head. She paid them, Miss Vidal, said Mr. Giles, because she is too just, as well as too charitable, to let honest people want, only because they have the good nature to keep her from wanting herself while she has such large sums belonging to a rich friend lying quite uselessly in a bit of paper by her side for the money was left with her by a very rich friend she told me herself no sir no mr giles cried ellis hastily and looking every way to avoid the anxious inquiring quick glancing eyes of harleigh i did not i could not say she stopped scarcely knowing what she meant either to deny or to affirm. "'Yes, yes, t'was a rich friend, my dear lady, you owned that. If you had not given me that assurance, I should not have urged you to make use of it. Besides, who but a rich friend would leave you money in such a way as that, neither locked, nor tied, nor in a box, nor in a parcel, but only in a little paper cover directed for Miss Ellis at her leisure?' At these words, which could leave no doubt upon the mind of Harleigh, that the money in question was his own, and that the money, so often refused, had finally been employed in the payment of her debts, Ellis involuntarily, irresistibly, but most fearfully, stole a hasty glance at him, with the transient hope that they might have escaped his attention. But the hope died in its birth. The words, in their fullest meaning, had reached him, and the sensation which they produced filled her with a poignant shame. A joy beamed in his countenance that irradiated every feature, a joy that flushed him into an excess of rapture, of which the consciousness seemed to abash himself, and his eyes bent instantly to the ground. But their checked vivacity checked not the feelings which illuminated them, nor the alarm which they excited, when Ellis, urged by a fright to snatch a second look, saw the brilliancy with which they had at first sought her own, terminating in a sensibility more touching, saw that they glistened with a tender pleasure, which, to her alarmed imagination, represented the potent and dangerous inferences that enchanted his mind, at a discovery that he had thus essentially succoured her, and that she had accepted, at last, however secretly, his succour. This view of new danger to her sense of independence called forth new courage, and restored an appearance of composure, and addressing herself to Miss Bidle. "'I entreat you,' 
she cried, Madam, to bear a little longer with my delay. To-morrow I shall enter upon a new career, from the result of which I hope speedily to acknowledge by obligation to your patience, and to acquit myself to all those to whom I am in any manner pecuniarily obliged, except of the lighter, though far more lasting debt of gratitude. Harleigh understood her determined perseverance with cruel disappointment yet with augmented admiration of her spirited delicacy, and, sensible of the utter impropriety of even an apparent resistance to her resolution in public, he faintly expressed concern that she had no letters prepared for town, and with a deep but stifled sigh took leave. Miss Bidle continued her interrogations, but without effect, and soon, therefore, followed. Mr. Giles remained longer, not because he obtained more satisfaction, but because, when not answered, he was contented with talking to himself. The rest of the day was passed free from outward disturbance to Ellis, and what she might experience internally was undivulged. End of chapter 37 Recording by Roxana Nazari